great to be here. Let me read the scripture for you. It's 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Uh, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has, yet not, has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be made like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. You know, the love of God is not the easiest topic to talk about for at least a couple of reasons. Um, first, the, doc the doctrine of the love of God is, is very multi-layered and, and deeper than uh, many people may think. And that's why Professor Don Carson wrote a book entitled The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God, where he mentions that love, God's love is actually a lot more complex. But in addition, the doctrine of the love of God is a difficult topic to talk about because the theme is so common. I mean, who hasn't listened to dozens of sermons on the love of God? And because it's so common, we often become immune to it, and it takes more and more and stronger and stronger descriptions uh, for us to let that love sink in again. But we want to give it a try today again. I want to begin with a personal story. You know, I grew up uh, much of my life as a young man, or young, young uh, a kid, I guess, and I wondered if my father uh, truly loved me. Because I never heard the words, the actual three words, I love you, uh, come from his mouth. And sometimes I got a glimpse of it, you know, through some action or something like that, that he might in fact love me, but most of the time I wasn't really sure. And after my dad's funeral a couple years ago, I was driving my stepmother back home, uh, back to her place, and we were talking about dad's final days, because, you know, he passed away in Chicago, I was here, and, um, and she said to me, you know, Peter, he often called for you in his last days. And that's when I knew that he, in fact, in fact, did love me. And as I reflected on that, I go, gosh, that's kind of sad, though. You know, not only for me that I never felt it, uh, but also for my dad as well, that he never had the chance to express it. And I share that example because I think it would be a terrible shame to go through this life not really knowing if God uh, loved you. Wouldn't you agree? If you went through most of your life not being certain of the depth and intimacy of God's love for you, I think that would be very, very sad. If you always doubted or if you always lived with this self-loathing, or if you, you know, whenever you looked in the mirror, you only saw this ugly monster rather than a treasure child of God, I think that would be sad. So that's my goal for this message. I'm praying that God's truth through his Holy Spirit will give us a fresh sense of his love for us. And I hope that we'll realize that God loves us much more and we would know. So let's get right to the text. You know, verse one begins with, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. And even in this sentence alone, we see that God's love is an incredible love. The phrase, what, what great, those two words, what great, is an amazing choice of words. John Stott in his commentary mentions that these words literally mean from what country or from what region. So we begin to get a sense of how different God's love is than maybe human expressions of love. In the New Testament, it's a word used to express uh, extremes. It's used of the sinful woman that was uh, anointing the feet of Jesus. Remember that story? And the Pharisee said, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. Meaning what? She's not just a sinner. She's an outrageous sinner. And after Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples said, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. From what planet is this guy from? 
In 2 Peter, it's used of the manner of life Christians were called upon to live. Uh, we know that this earth will pass away and a new earth will come. So then, what kind of holy and righteous lives ought we Christians to live? And one final example, when the Virgin Mary received the greeting from the angel, Luke writes, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting that might be, this might be. It was an unexpected greeting, a spectacular greeting, and, and literally an out-of-this-world type of greeting. So all these examples describe the unusual, the uncommon, the unexpected, and the extreme, and to a totally out-of-the-ordinary thing, whether it's referring to a person, a power, a lifestyle, or even a greeting. So here in 1 John, he's telling us to look, to see, or as the old King James says, behold, how outlandish, unusual, foreign, and uncommon, otherworldly is this love of God. So why is the love of God so out of this world? Well, we just need to go to the most popular verse in the Bible to find out. John 3.16. Three quick points about this verse that tell us why this love is so crazy. God loves something so utterly unlovable. He loved the world. The realm of sinful human beings he chose to love. Secondly, God loved with an immeasurable demonstration that he gave his only begotten son. And then thirdly, God provided an unfathomable, undeserved gift through his love, the gift of eternal life. And that's why this, this love is so hard in this world. And so John beckons us to look at it, consider it, behold it, think about it. People of God, every day we must look, behold the love of God. And that's the only way we'll allow this beautiful truth to sink in deeply as it should. You know, think about it. The longer we soak and marinate in God's love, the more we'll experience it in our lives every single day. The next thing that John tells us is that this love was lavished upon us or given to us, and some commentators say imparted to us. Now, what's interesting is that commentators say that the love of God mentioned here was not only demonstrated, it was, of course, and it wasn't just given, which it was as well, but that it was imparted to us as an inalienable possession. So we have this love of God as our possession, which um, no person and no situation could ever take away. I think that's a little bit peculiar if you think about it. How does one person possess another person's love? Think of it this way. When a person gives so much of himself or herself to another in verbal ways and in visible demonstrations of love, it's as if the person's love has been imparted or deposited into the other person. It's as if that person's love has become your possession because the love was shown so often, so regularly, so deeply, and in so many varied expressions that in some sense, it, that love has left one person and entered and become a part of the other person. I think we can all begin to uh, understand some experience of that. And that's how God's love has been given to us. It's out of this world because it gave so much, because it's been poured out, imparted to us. And perhaps these words from Paul in the book of Romans can help complete the picture. He says in Romans 8.38, For I am convinced that neither uh, death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The most powerful forces 
in the physical world and the spiritual world, in the present world and the future world. None of these forces can separate us from the love of God. It can never be removed and never taken away. It's there to stay forever. Do you know why that is? Because it's become a part of us. The love of God has become a part of us in a person. Christ dwells in us. It's, he's here to stay. He will never leave us or forsake us. So in that sense, the love of God is within us. And that's why it's so amazing. Nothing could ever take that away. Finally, John tells us that this out-of-the-world, indelible love of God has made us into the children of God. Listen to verse 1 again. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. First, what does this mean? And then secondly, how does that happen? Let's talk about what it means. What this, what this means, that we are children of God, implies that at one point, you and I were not the children of God, doesn't it? If God's love has made this possible, that we have become children of God, then it has to imply that at one point, we were not children of God. Because in our day and age, people would say, oh, all of humanity, we're all the children of God. And, and the Bible actually, in some sense, has, speaks of it in both ways. Yeah, we all are, but in one sense, God's people, especially those that are purchased by Christ, are in fact the children of God. So what were we before, before we became God's children? Well, the Bible mentions several things. We were God's enemies, Romans 5.10. We were the objects of God's wrath. We were slaves to sin. We were even children of the devil. If you just look a few verses down in John, 1 John chapter 3. This is what we once were. We were by nature and by choice all these things because we rejected God's love. But now we are God's children. We have become a part of God's family. And God has now become our father. So Paul writes in Galatians, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And then in Romans, Paul says, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry once again, Abba, Father. You know, Abba, Abba, Father, or Abba means Father in the Aramaic language. And Paul saw, says that because we are his children, his sons and daughters, because the Holy Spirit resides in us, we can with confidence call upon God as our Abba Father. So why is that so special? Well, it's special because of what we once were, because we were children of wrath at one time. We were God's enemies at one time. To make an enemy into a son, that's why it's so amazing. It's so special. But there's another reason why it's so special. You know, the phrase Abba Father only appears three times in the whole Bible. We looked at two of them, the Galatians uh, reference and then the one from Romans. The third instance is found in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus, just hours before his arrest, went to pray in Gethsemane. It was his darkest hour, and as he prays and cries out to God, what does he say? You guessed it. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So please understand why this is so huge. It was Jesus, in his unique relationship with God the Father, as his only son, who normalized the practice of calling God Father. Up to this point, it was not the customary way that people address God. Throughout his life and his ministry, the Gospels show us that Jesus addressed God primarily as Father. Think, let me just give you a stat. The references to God as our Father in the Old Testament, which is about three-quarters of the whole Bible, right, in terms of uh, quantity, 
appear nine times. A total of nine times in the Old Testament, there's a reference to God as our Father. In the Gospels alone, 165 times, God is referenced as Father. And perhaps most well-known, of course, is the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus begins with those famous words, Our Father. And what does he mean when he says that? He's saying, not only do I get to call God Father, but you, my friends, my disciples, we together can call God our Father. That's just, it's earth-shatteringly huge for a Jewish person to say, God, you are my Father. And then we take it for granted because that's how we always address God in prayer. But it was unthinkable. It was very uncommon for people to call God that way. Again, think of the ramifications of this. It essentially means that I am relating to God in a very similar way that Jesus related to God. And conversely, God is relating to me in a very similar way in which he related to his son, Jesus. And that's why the Bible calls God's children co-heirs, co-inheritors with Christ. What's God's is Christ's, and what's Christ's is mine. And that's amazing. So John breaks out an exclamation in this passage. See, behold, what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Dear friends, now we are children of God. So three times for emphasis, he says we are God's children. People of God, this is what God's love has done for us. Now, if that is what it means to be a child of God, how did it happen? How do we receive this great privilege? How did we who were once children of wrath, the very enemies of God, become the beloved children of God? I think this word might help. Substitution. You know, when I attended elementary school in the States, they didn't call them supply teachers. They called them substitute teachers. They took the place of the regular teacher who was ill or sick, right? And we also used the word in sports uh, when we substitute one player for another player. So we're all very familiar with the concept of substitution. However, in the Bible, this substitution is of, is, is of a little bit different kind. It's a substitution that required sacrifice. You and I are sinners, and as sinners, we are deserving of God's wrath and judgment. We were children of wrath. Think with, think with me just for a moment. You and I all know deep in our hearts that we are worse than we let on to believe. Do you agree? We are far worse the person than others think we are. Oh, you don't know him. He's a great person. Oh, you don't really know him then. <laughs> Would anyone dare to disagree with that statement? Would anyone say, you know what? I've looked inside. I've looked deep inside, and I've discovered that I'm actually a better person than I thought I was. <laughs> I don't think a single person could say that. How many of us, if we were in God's courtroom, would stand a chance? Even if we had Jesus as our lawyer, he wouldn't be able to get us out. Law is law. Justice is justice. We are all sinners and we're guilty. Even Jesus can't bend the law. And neither can he bend justice. But hold on. Jesus can't bend the law, but he can fulfill the law. Jesus can't compromise justice, but he can receive justice in our place. And this is what he did when he came to earth to live, to die, and rise again. He fulfilled perfectly the law that we were supposed to live. 
by obeying every one of God's commands perfectly. And then he received the full horrors of God's justice that you and I were meant to receive when he died on a Roman cross. He became, in one word, our substitute. His loss became our gain. For an eternal moment, he was forsaken by God so that you and I would never be forsaken, as we sang in that psalm. The Son of God had his sonship momentarily fractured, so our sonship, our daughtership, would never be fractured. This is the great news of the gospel. More than we'll ever know, you and I are loved by God. So how do you experience this? How do you cross over from enemy to child? Well, I think you run to him. You just run to your father. You trust in him. You lay your whole life upon him. You forsake all other loves to make him your one and only love. That's what it means to receive the love of God. Let me pray. God, our Father, and we don't take that title lightly, you are indeed our Heavenly Father. And that title came at a cost, at the cost of your very own Son. And so, Lord, with great honor and privilege, we call you our Father. And as our Father, you have shown us the full demonstration of your love when you gave Jesus for us. Lord, we have been adopted uh, as your sons and daughters. And I pray for each person here today. Help us to once again be filled to the brim and to overflowing with your incredible love. Help us experience this love that's so out of this world that um, you have shown us through your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray all these things. Amen.